Well, this morning we're going to continue a series. We kind of changed up the direction the last couple of weeks since uh, God has just been doing an unusual thing here. We want to stay moving with Him. Amen. And um, so we're in a little series called His Presence. And this morning I'm going to get you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to talk about His presence, our weapon. As you're turning there, let me just tell you I, one of the things that you know about my family, we are into sports and uh, my kids play a couple of different sports, basketball, football, primary sports in our family. And one of the things as a dad that I love to do is, one, I don't miss a game. But number two, I love getting to the games early because I love watching the pregame. I love being there as the teams come out and they go through the, the pregame routine and, and all of the things like the stretching and the uh, different drills that they do, whether it's football and basketball. And here's what you, you got to know about the pregame. I can watch a pregame and kind of tell you where the mindset of the team is as I watch them warm up which teams take it serious, which teams are prepared, which players take it serious, which players are prepared. And I love that, but, but here really is the goal of the pregame. The pregame is to go through game-like uh, motions, game-like movement, game-like drills, activities, not at game-like speed, but the purpose is for them to get, get loose, to get warm, to get ready for the game. And so they're going through the motions of the game without the intensity of the game. Are you with me? And here's what I fear. What I fear is, is that I look at my own life and I look at the life of many Christians. Here's what I, I fear and I think I discover is that we treat prayer like the pregame. That for most of us, we, we treat prayer like it's the pregame for a competition. We go through the motions without intensity. We're going through a routine, but it's really not to the level of which the the competition or the actual action is going to be. And here's why this is a problem. This is a problem because we've got to discover that one of the reasons that our prayer life is so powerless and the reason that prayer for many of us is so absent is because we are treating our prayer life like the pregame for the action when in reality, the prayer life is the action. Are you with me? is that oftentimes we go through the motions of prayer, we'll go through the activity of prayer, and this is the reason our prayer life is so passionless, the reason we don't pray audacious prayers, the reason we don't cry out to the Lord, the reason there's not a sense of desperation when we pray is because we, pre, we treat prayer like the pregame routine rather than the game itself. And I'm hoping today that you'll have a changed perspective on this in your own prayer life and understand why we have to put prayer as front and center here as the people of God. So grab your Bibles, Ephesians chapter six is where we're gonna be. If you're there, say the Bible is true. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. I think it's only appropriate if I'm gonna preach on prayer that we pray before we preach, amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. I pray that you would move in your word, God. I pray that what would happen over the next few moments is that you would allow our eyes to be open, our ears to be open, and tuned to what the Spirit has to say to your people. Father, I pray that what happens in the next few moments is not merely natural, but it's supernatural. 
that you move our people beyond my voice so that they can hear your voice. So, Lord, I pray your spirit guide me. I just want to confess, Lord, a complete dependence upon you. Uh, nothing that, that is of eternal is going to happen if it's just me preaching. God, what we need is a supernatural infusion of the Holy Spirit to take your word to the hearts of your people. I am incapable of doing that, Lord, but by your spirit and your power, Lord, eternal things can happen. So we submit to you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about his presence, our weapon today. And there are two truths about prayer that I think will radically trans transform the way which, in which you pray. You'll move out of pregame praying to prayer being the game praying. Here's number one. Write this down if you're taking notes. We need to see, first of all, that the Christian life is spiritual war. That the Christian life is spiritual war. War. You, you need to understand that the day that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've moved into the realm of a new kingdom, and this kingdom is in a war with another kingdom. So the Christian life isn't come to Jesus, your life gets easier. It's come to Jesus, your life gets better, but then you go to war immediately. That's the Christian life. And this is what you find here in the passage. Look what Paul says in verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The word wrestle here is a great word to underline or highlight in your Bible. It literally is a term that means hand-to-hand -hand combat. So we're in a war, and what Paul wants us to understand is that this war is not being fought in the air with drones. This is ground, hand-to-hand -hand combat. We are in a fight uh, every single day we are in a war, and this war is a hand-to-hand -hand combat. We don't wrestle, though, against flesh and blood. So it's not just a, a human war, it's a spiritual war. Look what he says. He says, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual war that we are in. The Bible makes it very clear that Satan is a real being and that Satan has demonic forces. And so I know in a day and age where we don't talk about, you know, the, 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 the doctrine of demons and the doctrine of Satan a whole lot. And in many ways in our intellectualism, we kind of dismiss the spiritual realm in which we are existing. But I want you to know that we are not physical people having a spiritual experience. We are a spiritual people living out in a physical world which means there is a very real spiritual unseen world around us. The Bible uh, says that Satan is the God of this world, lowercase g, God. He is not God's equal. He is not even God's rival. God does not have any equals, and he does not have rivals. He does have an enemy, however. And the Bible repeatedly calls the enemy the God of this world. And that there is a very real kingdom of darkness that's at work on planet earth and that Satan is the ruler of this kingdom of darkness. In fact, here's what 1 John says. 1 John chapter 5 verse 19 says this. It says, we know that we are from God and that the whole world lies, watch this, in the power of the evil one. So we are from God, we are part of another kingdom, but those who are not in God, the world, this is those who are outside of Jesus, they are under the power of the evil one. Paul talks about this a lot throughout his writings and right here in Ephesians, he's highlighting this. Even Jesus describes the enemy as the God of this world. So we have to understand what we're living in, in the unseen realm, there are two kingdoms at work. There is the kingdom of the beloved son, the Bible calls, the kingdom of God, 
that is invading the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. And these two kingdoms are at war with one another. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the kingdom of darkness has already been defeated once and for all. But that victory that Christ won over the, over the empty tomb when he defeated the enemy, the full reality of that victory will not be ours until the kingdom of God comes in its fullness and King Jesus sets up his throne once and for all, completely overthrowing the kingdom of darkness. So while we know Jesus' kingdom has victory over the kingdom of darkness, we are in a space in time right now where these kingdoms are colliding. And while the kingdom of darkness will not ultimately win the war, he wants to win a few battles along the way. So we've got to understand we are at war every single day if we are in Christ. Even the Lord's Prayer, we see the evidence of this. The Lord's Prayer is this is cute little nice prayer that we pray. We memorize it as kids. We go to bed. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we understood the magnitude of the Lord's Prayer, we would understand that's a war prayer. Our Father who's in heaven, whose kingdom reigns above everything in the universe. May your name be treated as holy. And what's the next line? May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that is? That is a cry for the kingdom of God to invade the kingdom of darkness and overthrow the kingdom of darkness. That's a war prayer. May your kingdom take over the kingdom of darkness. Brothers and sisters, we are in a spiritual war and we have a very real spiritual enemy who wants to destroy humanity and the work of Jesus and the hearts of those who belong to him. Paul shows us this enemy and how he fights against the kingdom of Jesus. Look what he says here next. He says this in Ephesians chapter six, verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God. So God has given us this armor that we wear, but notice why we wear it, that you may be able to stand against, notice this, the schemes of the devil. The word schemes there in the original language is a word where we get our English word methods. It's the, it means the strategy, the methods, the tactics of the enemy. And so what you've got to understand about this enemy, while he is not more powerful God, than God, he is more powerful than you. He is more powerful than any of us in this room in and of ourselves, and he is really good at what he does. When it talks about the schemes of the enemy, the tactics of the enemy, we've got to understand that he is really good. He has had thousands and thousands of, of years of practice and honing in his skill of scheming humanity. So let me just tell you something about the enemy. He's slick. He studies his prey. He knows your weaknesses better than you know your weaknesses. He knows where to trip you up, to make you fall. And he is constantly, he and his demonic forces are constantly at work watching and looking for opportunity to make us his prey. That's the reality. Here's what the, the Bible tells us. First Peter describes him like this. It says that uh, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? 
for your adversary, your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Notice the description here. He, he describes the enemy like a lion. I've been to Africa and have, have gone into the Maasai Mar, going back in a few months, a few weeks rather, um, to, to go on a mission trip and we'll see lions, no doubt, while we're there. A couple of years ago, I was there and I was sitting up on, a, on top of a plateau and I was looking down over a plain and we saw some lions and they were hunting, hunting some gazelles. And as they were moving through the brush, they were doing so very carefully, very quietly, circling the prey, trying to make the circle smaller and smaller and smaller so that whenever the gazelle is not watching, not looking, not expecting, the lion comes from behind and devours. And here's what Peter says, that's what the enemy is like. He is very good at tripping us up. He is very good at devouring his prey. And he knows our weaknesses. This is why we can start our day. One, we get up early and what do we do? We get our Bible, we get our coffee and we spend a few moments in prayer and we read the scriptures. And next thing we know before we leave the house, we find ourselves alone in the house. We're gonna check a few things on our phone and all of a sudden that ad pops up. And we look once and we look twice. And we click the button. And we find ourselves, without expecting it, finding ourselves in sin. It wasn't our intention, but the enemy knows the landmines to place in front of us. Is everything in your life was good, the bitterness and the unforgiveness that's there, you've hit it pretty well and you think it's no big deal. It's not causing me any issues. Certainly I haven't reconciled, but it's not a big deal. Then all of a sudden that one person says the wrong thing and now you're triggered, not just by their behavior, but behavior you never dealt with before. And now all of a sudden you got train wrecks of relationships in your life because that bitterness that you thought you could manage is now managing you. Because the enemy knows. Your marriage that you've, you know, it's been pretty good. And all, next thing you know, you take one another for granted. And you're just doing life together without real attention toward one another. And secretly on the inside, you feel neglected by your spouse and you're really not dealing with it. And you're just trying to manage it on your own. The next thing you know, you get that message from that ex and that conversation begins. And all of a sudden you end up in a relationship you never intended on being in. How does that happen? You have an enemy. And he knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles and he is constantly scheming and he's constantly game planning and he's constantly trying to undermine the work of the gospel in your life so that he can catch you off guard and lead you into sin that you naturally in your flesh, you know you struggle with it, but because he is good at what he does, you fall into it and find yourselves trapped. It's the insecurities that you live with that you don't let your identity become rooted in the gospel. And because of this, those insecurities are real and you mask it with overconfidence. But in those moments of vulnerability, someone invites you into something and now you're addicted to this substance or this thing, never really intending to be, but because of the enemy's ability to scheme and game plan on your life, you are held captive. We've got to recognize the enemy's real and he knows how to get us, every single one of us, and the problem with most of us is that the reason we're having our hindquarters handed to us in the war is because we have a peacetime mentality during the middle of a war. We think we can manage, we can just go on, we can go through the motions of coming to church and praying weak prayers and, and not really focusing on God's word and just go through the motions, I got this, you got this until it has you, right? Right? 
This is why Peter says, be sober-minded, be alert, be on the look. I'll never forget a couple of years ago, we had, one of these days I'm gonna write a book called The Crazy Life of a Pastor. That's gonna be the title of the book. And all of the stories that I don't tell, I'm gonna tell all the stories, all right? Uh, I won't give names, but, uh, but there was a, a couple of years ago, I, I received a, a, a very credible threat. Um, threat toward me, threat uh, included my family. And I just want you to know, like, like there's, there are times you're like, ah, it's no big deal. Then there are times like, okay, that you, there's, a, there's a line that's been crossed. And, and immediately I kind of got snapped into this uh, unwanted reality that there was a very real threat to me and to my family. And so immediately I began to get the right people involved. I had uh, safety from the church involved. They were uh, making sure they had a game plan. The FBI was involved. Uh, I even for a season had a couple of, 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 of weeks, we had um, off and on 24 hour security at my house, armed people at my house. And one of the things that I did, not only did I get security, but I made sure I'm a, I'm a proud gun owner in my house. That was not a political statement, so save your email. It just is what it is. And in this season, I promise you, my guns weren't just locked away somewhere. They were accessible and they were ready. And I had ammunition. And so here's what happened. In that moment, here's what I recognized. I don't have time to not be alert. My head had to be on a swivel. I had to make sure that I wasn't fighting this alone. So I got other men and law enforcement, FBI and different things. And I made sure at my house when I was there that I had what I needed just in case the enemy showed up, he would find me ready. So the question for you this morning is this, if we are at war, are you prepared to fight? What people do you need to let in your life? What what are the ways in which you need to arm yourself spiritually to fight in this war? Or are you coasting through life with your head in the sand, pretending like everything is okay and there's not a real enemy that's out there? And by the way, just fathers in the room, you gotta understand he's coming for you and your family and God has posted you as the watchman of your home to guard and protect spiritually the life of your family. We've got to wake up. The reason we need to, 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 to be ready each and every day is because there is a very real war. So here's the question then, how do we fight this war? What's the primary way we fight this war? Here's truth number two, write this down. Prayer, prayer is the primary way we fight in this war. Prayer is the primary way we fight in this war. Paul goes on, he tells us that we are in this spiritual battle. It's not against flesh and blood. And then he goes on to say, and there's this equipment that God has given us. He says, there's the armor of God. You say, what is the armor of God? The armor of God is, I believe, the gospel of Christ in a word picture form that we can suit up in the armor of God. This is an everyday occurrence that we suit up in the armor, army of God, armor of God rather, to go to war daily with the enemy. But when you look at the armor that God has given us, all of the armor that he's given us is a defensive armor except for one piece of, of the armor. I want you to see what that is. Look what he says in verse number 17. Verse 17, he says this. He says, and take the helmet of salvation. And here's the, here's the offensive weapon, the only weapon we're given. And the sword of the spirit, which is what? 
which is, it says it right here for crying out loud. The sword of the spirit, which is, thank you. The only weapon. Now, if you give a soldier a shield and breastplate and you give them the, the, the shoes and the, 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 the be battle ready, you've given that soldier everything they need to defend themselves against the enemy. But the moment you put a sword in the hand of, of a soldier, now you're saying your job is not just to stand back and deflect, it's time to attack. It's the weapon by which we fight. Now we understand this, the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is what the word of God. So we've got to understand that God has given us a weapon. Would you say amen to that? But here's the problem. Here's what I've discovered in my own life, what I've discovered in the life of many Christians. We understand that we have a sword and it's the word of God, the sword of the spirit, but most of us don't know how to use it. So most of us, we take the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and we think, okay, I gotta read my Bible. And by the way, reading your Bible is good, but that's not how you use the sword of the spirit in battle. Some of us think, well, I gotta know the Bible. And listen, knowing the Bible is a great thing, but that's not necessarily how you fight a spiritual battle. So reading the Bible and knowing the Bible in and of itself is not enough to fight this war. And so we have the sword. We just don't know how to use the sword. Let me show you why this is true. How many of you have ever fallen into sin right after you got finished with your quiet time? Anybody ever done that? Raise your hand if it's you. All right, some of you read your Bible this morning and you're lying in church. So you just committed it, right? You knew lying was a sin and you did it anyway. Like how many of you, when you sin, you, some, some of you know that's not what God's word says. Anybody confess to that? So why is it that we can read the Bible and we can even know the Bible and still fall into sin if it's the sword of the spirit? It's because it is powerful in our life if we know how to use it correctly. You see, here's what Paul goes on to say. He's gonna show us in the very next verse how we use the sword that's been given to us. Look what he says in verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit. So the sword of the spirit, now we're praying in the spirit. When do we pray in the spirit? What does Paul say? All times. It's the posture of our life. Look what he goes on to say. He says, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You see, what Paul is showing us here is that this is how we wield the sword of the spirit and spiritual battle. We pray the word of God. This is how we fight in this spiritual battle that we are in, this war that we're in. We fight it in prayer, taking God's word, and praying it over our life and over the life of others. That's how we fight. Paul even understands this is for him. If you go on in the next verses, Paul says this. He says, and pray for me also, that I may preach the gospel boldly as I ought to preach. In other words, Paul recognizes, hey, as I go into unreached places and I take the gospel and I plant churches, I am going into enemy territory and there's gonna be an all out assault on me. And so here's what I need you to do. Don't just go to war for you, go to war for me so that I can do the things God's called me to do. I don't know about you, the apostle Paul felt desperate for prayer in order to accomplish the, the things that God had called him to. I, I feel pretty inadequate without it too, right? But this is what God's called us to do, to fight on our knees. 
A buddy of mine says it like this, we make war on the floor. That's where we make war. Make war on the floor that we pray God's word. We call on the name of the Lord. So this is what it looks like. Rather than just knowing scripture and reading scripture, now here's what we do. We actually go to battle in prayer, holding the sword of the spirit, and we fight against the enemy by calling on the name of the Lord. And so when temptation comes my way, I I take the word of God that I know, and I say, God, I know that your word says that there is no temptation except for that which is common to man, but with every temptation, you'll give me a way of escape. I go to the Father and I declare that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And in the, in the posture of prayer, I go to war against the enemy by declaring the word of God in prayer and depending upon the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to infuse God's word, that is true, into my life so that through his power, his word might be true in me. That's how we fight. And that's how we war. My friend Jason Paredes pastor in the Arlington area, he says this, I heard him say this last week, I love this. He says, prayer isn't preparation for spiritual war. Prayer is warfare itself. Prayer is not preparing uh, for war. So a lot of times we go like, man, I gotta have a, I got a hard day today. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta pray up. I gotta pray up so I can go to the battle. No, 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 no. Prayer is the battle. I gotta go on this mission trip, so I gotta, get, I gotta get prayed up to go on the mission trip. No, 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 no. Like prayer, that's, that's where the war is fought. That's why Paul says praying at all times in the spirit so that, that I don't just get up in the morning and I have my little quiet time and I spend a little time in prayer and in the word and then kind of go through my day hoping I can have victory over the enemy. No, I might start on my knees with prayer and with the word of God. And then when I get up, the word of God that I just read and the prayer that began never stops. And now as I go through my, that day, I am now letting the word of God linger in my heart as I talk to him and commune with him and I submit to him and every temptation, every battle, every situation where I find the enemy bringing attack into my life, I make war against the enemy by submitting in prayer to the power of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. That is where victory comes from. You see, so many of us, if we were to be honest, because we don't see our life like this, we have, we have prayerless praying. So what do you mean prayerless praying? You do know that you can pray without praying. You can go through the motions. It's like we talked about the pregame. Oh God, thank you for this day. Thank you for another day. Same prayer I prayed yesterday. Thank you Lord, that I have another day in front of me. God, I pray that you will bless me today. Isn't that sweet? That's a peacetime prayer, by the way. God, would you bless me today? Like, What, what blessings do you want? Or is it just a term we throw around mindlessly without really having any meaning or communing with God? Let's be honest. You smell what I'm stepping in? Prayerless praying. God, I pray that you would, you would guide and direct my, my steps today. God, as I open your word, would you, would you speak to me? And, and not really listening to the voice of God, but just going through the motions. And then what do we do? We read the text and we close the Bible. And now I go about my day and we get blindsided by the enemy because we thought we were preparing for war 
when really what we were doing was supposed to be beginning to engage the war that now we step and we walk in the rest of our day. And this is why so many of us, we struggle day to day with the enemy having victory after victory after victory after victory in our life. It's because there are two types of people. There are people that are in the war and then there are people that are actually battling and fighting spiritually in the war. Now notice this, everybody's in the war. And this is how we go to battle with the enemy. It is face down on our knees. Why? Because there is supernatural power that we find there. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number three. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we live in the body, we are not waging war according to the flesh or to the body. In other words, like, like, as I go through my day, yes, I'm living in a physical body, but because this is not a physical war, it's a spiritual war, I'm not gonna war with the flesh. So, so here's why so many of us are held captive in our sin. We're trying to fight the flesh with the flesh. And the spiritual realm around us, here's what the enemy does. He preys on the weakness of our flesh. And so, yes, there's this spiritual thing that's happening with our, our desires, our fleshly desires. But here's where the failure for most Christians are. We think we can white-knuckle ourselves into victory. I'm just not going to look. I'm just not going to look. I'm just not going to look. Oops, I looked. I'm just not going to say that. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to say that. Now, if they push my buttons, I might say it. Oops, I gotta apologize now, I said it, right? What are we doing? We're waging war with the flesh on the flesh. Go back to that verse again. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. No, look at verse four. For the weapons of our warfare, for the spiritual war, are not of the flesh, they're not of the body, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. This phrase, divine power, the implication here is that there is Holy Spirit power. There is Holy Spirit power to destroy strongholds. What are strongholds? These are the, the ways in which the enemy preys on our life. It's the areas that we continue to stumble and fall in. It's the areas of our life that trips us up over and over and over again. And here's what we're saying, is that if you want strongholds defeated in your life, stop trying to overcome the strongholds with the flesh because the flesh is the problem. But what you have in Christ is divine power, supernatural power, Holy Spirit power. Notice what it accomplishes in our life. Verse five. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So notice what Paul is doing here. It's the same thing he does in Ephesians. What's the, what's the, what's the weapon God has given us? It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. But how do we fight with this sword? It's in prayer. This is why he's saying, so we don't, we don't fight against the strongholds in our life with the efforts of the flesh. What do we do? We, we tap into the divine power, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life that raised Christ from the dead is in us. And when we pray, we are entering into his presence, seeking his power, not our own. Then all of a sudden, the word of God has the ability to break the strongholds of our life. His word overthrows the thoughts of the enemy. 
And all of a sudden, our life becomes aligned with the word of God, not because we white-knuckled ourselves into righteousness, but because the power of the Holy Spirit is activated in our life. How do we tap into this supernatural presence and power of the Holy Spirit? It is through prayer. This is why we say here often, uh, you need to pray until you pray. Because you've got to remember prayer Listen to this very, very closely. Prayer is not where you get power. Some of you are like, that totally undoes everything you've been preaching for two years. Prayer is not where you get power. You get power in the presence of God. It's the manifest presence of, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are strengthened, amen? Prayer is the means by which we enter into the presence of God. So it is possible to go through the function of prayer and even reading your Bible and God not being in the equation at all. Not experiencing his manifest presence in your life. But whenever you enter into through prayer, the manifest presence of God and his spirit is at work in you and you enter into his presence and then his word is open. All of a sudden now, things that are powerful begin to occur in your life. But God, God begins to do things supernaturally you could never do according to your own flesh and effort. And this is where the victory of the Christian life is found. I love what R.A. Torrey says about this. Listen to what he writes. He says, when the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. Can I just encourage you this morning? The enemy is not afraid of prayerless preaching. The enemy is not, a, not afraid of prayerless Bible study. The enemy is not afraid of, of prayerless ministry. The enemy is not afraid of prayerless evangelism, but he shudders and he shakes when God's people get on their face before a holy God and call upon his name. And he shudders because at that moment, we are entering into the real battle. And here's supernaturally what happens. This is what blows me away. We, we know we should pray. Let me tell you why prayer is powerful. When we pray, I mean, when we pray, when we get in the presence of God and we call on his name, there is something in the unrealm, unseen reality that begins to happen. See, if, if we had it just a moment, man, I wish there are moments where God would do this. If we could, even in this moment, and this is not to freak you out, but here's the reality. In this moment, as I'm talking, if, if God would just pull back the veil just a little bit and give us eyes to see the unseen, there are angels and there is a spiritual activity all around this place. There are also real enemy in this room in the unseen space and he, there is a war that's being fought even right now as I preach. That's why we, we get all these urges to do this. When is he gonna be done? We gotta get out of here. I got this thing to do. That's why all of a sudden our mind begins to wander a thousand different places. Distractions. 
That's why when we talk about this, the enemy all of a sudden begins to say things that would produce shame and guilt and want to drive you into the corner somewhere when we're here. You know why? He is at work even in this room. But also, there's another reality present that is the presence of God. And there is a cosmic war that's being waged right in this room right now. Now watch what happens when we pray. When we pray, we are submitting ourselves to the divine power of Almighty God. And when we call in the name of God, this is why prayer is powerful. God pours out His Holy Spirit and God unleashes the host of heaven And in the unseen realm, he unleashes his army to fight in the areas that we can't see to cause a war. And we're joining in that fight. Oh, Father, would you send down? God, give me strength. I need your strength. I can't do this alone. God loves to hear us enter into the battle like this because in that moment, he's like, boys, go. And he sends the angelic beings and he pours out his Holy Spirit and he does battle with the enemy. And in the unseen realm, there is victories that are won that have, listen, an impact on earth. Unseen victories that all of a sudden become present earthly realities. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's the story of Elisha, one of the great prophets. And there was a moment where he and a servant, the, the, the enemy of God's people hated Elisha because he was a mighty man of God. And he and his servant were at this home and the enemy, the army surrounded them and there were hundreds of them. And there was just a couple of people there with uh, Elisha. And Elisha's servant, his, his young servant that was with him, he sees the enemy surrounding him and he is shaking in his boots, literally. He is freaking out. But not Elisha. Elisha is as cool as a cucumber. He's just chill. He's laid back. He's kind of got a grin on his face, I can imagine. And his servant is like, what are you doing? Like, this army is gonna kill us. We're surely gonna die. And I love Elisha's response. He says, listen, those who are with us are far greater than those who are with them. And his servant, just as in my imagination, is probably like, okay, you've officially gone to crazy town because I'm counting one and two and then a bunch of them. And maybe with a smile on his face, Elisha prays, God, let him see. And the veil is pulled back and his servant sees that the army of the Lord, the angelic beings have surrounded the enemy. And he sees God's protection and God's provision. You see, when we pray, we are... are, resting in the victory that is ours in Christ and God who loves us goes to war on our behalf. And those that are with us is greater than those that are against us. That's why the last couple of weeks, things that are unexplainable are happening. This is why we have reports of miraculous healings. Why? because something happens when we pray. Now, does God always heal every time? No, but he can. And we've seen him do it. 
This is why, God, the last couple of months, or last couple of weeks, rather, have broken chains of bitterness and relationships that have been fractured for, in some cases, decades. Like in a moment, the bitterness taken away or at least progress beginning that was not found in self-effort or just self-help, but all of a sudden, divine powers to break the strongholds of sin set free. Where does that come from? God's people begin to pray. We begin to see people saved without preaching. People falling under conviction. I don't know Jesus. I need a relationship. I need to be baptized. I need to go public with my faith. Where did that come from? There have been crying out to the Lord, the saints of the people, for the lost. And God is hearing our prayers and what is he doing? He's moving in our midst. So what we're gonna do in the next few moments, we're gonna enter into a time where we're just gonna hand the service over to the Holy Spirit. And as my buddy says, we're gonna make war on the floor. What strongholds in your life do you need the army of the Lord, the divine power of the Holy Spirit to come and free you from? What relationship, you, you tried everything you could do to find resolution in your heart and reconciliation with them and you just can't seem to find it in any of your efforts. Are you willing to recognize that you wrestle not against flesh and blood today? Some of you have loved ones that are unbelievers and you're like, I just need a new method. I need a new way. I need a new ministry. I need something that may convince them. Can I tell you, listen to this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, I think it's number 4. He says, the issue is that the eyes are blinded by the enemy. If the gospel is veiled, it's not veiled because you haven't presented the gospel correctly. Or because the ministry's not good enough. It's veiled because the God of this world has, has veiled their eyes. So you know what you need to do? You need to go to war against the enemy. And ask the Holy Spirit to give eyes to see and then continue to go to war for that person until the Holy Spirit steps in and there's a victory and the veil is lifted and that person comes to faith in Christ. Who is that in your life? Do you love them enough to go to war for them? In prayer? What do you need God to do? Some of you, you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The veil has been lifted, but you have been paralyzed. The enemy is telling you, you just don't need this. You can do it later. Are you willing to surrender yourself? And the first act of war for you is to surrender to King Jesus and defect from the kingdom of darkness and step into the kingdom of his beloved son. And to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Some of you is to be baptized. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What war do you need to make today? I'm gonna invite you to stand. We're gonna have decision encouragers in place. This altar is gonna be open. This is gonna be a holy moment. And this is something every person in the room, listen, no one is exempt. Now you might choose not to fight in the war. For some of you, it's, it's gonna be a war of worship as you pray God in song. You pray to him in song. Some of you need to come to this altar and be broken over sin. Some of you, because of strongholds, you need to confess that to some brothers and sisters and bring some folks in, like in my situation with the security. Let's make war today. 
Father, we lay this time before you. We ask by your Holy Spirit, you will move in this room. God, I know that the enemy is at work and I know that you are stronger than the enemy. So God, I pray, Lord, that that we could rest in this truth, Lord, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Father, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and that he is greater than any chain any struggle, any stronghold, any resistance to the gospel. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to move in power in this place, God, that we would be able to go before you in prayer, making war against the enemy and seeing victory in our life and the lives of those around us. Lord, let us take the sword of the Spirit and pray at all times in the Spirit. That it starts now in this room. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, you do and watch him work in your life.